0: Night, reader. (laughs) The knight, shrouded in black atop a lone pillar, lights his candle and reaches for a book. Fearless in battle, fearless in literature, he takes in all the wonders of the world, right there in one spot. In the same way and without hesitation we dissect and decipher classic and modern texts in a fun exciting and easily accessible manner join me the night reader as we travel through these wonderful sometimes obscure worlds in a podcast meant for people of all ages and levels of reading Hello. Welcome to the fifth episode of my literary musical analysis, Night Reader. I'm very excited for this episode as it involves a few incredible chapters and the opening up of the story, as Ishmael and Queequeg set out on the Pequod, a great whaling vessel, under Captain Ahab's command. However, as the day draws nearer, they haven't even caught a glimpse of Ahab. We get to meet one more character on land and hear a very chilling prophetic warning. The connections we're going to make are incredibly stimulating and exciting. So I hope you'll join me for this uh, this great episode we're gonna have today. So the next chapter we're gonna look at is called the Ramadan. Uh, the definition for Ramadan is uh, goes like this. Uh, the, ninth, the ninth month of the Muslim year during which strict fasting is observed from sunrise to sunset. The purpose of this, at least, according to Islamic belief, is a commemoration of a holy scripture. For many other cultures, uh, they also practice a form of fasting: uh, Catholicism, Buddhism, Judaism, uh, the Western-based religions as well, you know Hinduism. And although they're all, uh, for varying reasons, generally, it's a practice of humility and inner reflection and in prayer. The chapter we're starting with today is called Ramadan, and is about our our character Queequeg's religious practices, which we've heard a little bit about so far. And the way this chapter opens up is uh, with Ishmael describing his respect towards everyone else's religious obligations besides his own, whatever they may be. Now here we're witnessing Ishmael's graciousness and respect of other cultures. It's a great virtue that he has and a rarity in our modern age. Last episode, Ishmael set out on his own to find a proper vessel and left Queequeg on his Ramadan. It's nearly nightfall and Ishmael's returning to the tripods, an inn famous for its clam chowder. Ishmael says he doesn't have it in his heart to disturb someone who's in prayer or undervalue any congregation of any kind, even if he doesn't agree wholly with their views. It could be ants worshiping a great mushroom. He couldn't bring himself to discredit it. He declares that, as Christians, we should not think so highly of ourselves and our beliefs just because they differ from others. He describes Queequeg and his little idol, Yojo. Some of Queequeg's practices were absurd to Ishmael, although he did kindly join in on some of them. Q was content in his beliefs, and as most people who have had their minds set on religion, No amount of talking or persuading could change his mind. So Ishmael thought, let him live in his contentment. Ish says, quote, All of our arguing with him would not avail. Let him be, I say, and heaven have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans alike, for we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly sadly need mending, unquote. How can you not feel love for Ishmael at this point? He's a kind-hearted man. All that we've seen and felt for him has shown us his genuine nature, his language and outlook on fellow men, his beliefs and mannerisms. He has many great traits and is very smart. The most dangerous thing about him may be his sometimes blind enthusiasm. Although most of the time, it's really not his fault. He's just along for the ride like any man at that time would be. But he does get a very strong feeling of despair towards the near future. At the same time he is very hopeful and has his eyes set out on the horizon with optimism. He's ready to sail out with Queequeg under a captain they hardly know. So he's respectful of Queequeg's day of humility. It's near evening now, dark outside. Ishmael is back at the inn and knocks on the locked door to their room where he left Queequeg that morning. Quee-Quee. Quee-Quee, it is I, Ishmael. Why won't he answer the door? Oh dear, Quee-Quee. Have you had a heart attack? Ishmael peers through the crooked keyhole. He sees Quee-Quee's harpoon leaning against the corner of the bed. Strange, since Miss Hussey hadn't allowed him inside with it and Queequeg never goes out without that harpoon. He must be in the room. Queequeg, oh dear God. Help, maid. Ishmael quickly runs down the stairs and searches for somebody to help him. He finds a maid and lets her know. She says she figured something was the matter since the door has been locked since breakfast and not a mouse to be heard. She thought maybe they'd both gone off and locked their baggage in for safekeeping. She goes calling for Miss Hussey. Yelling murder. Have you got a woodhouse? Which way to it, made? Fetch me an axe to pry that door open. The axe. He's had a stroke. Depend on it. Get the axe and run for the doctor while I pry it open. Miss Hussey appears and asks Ishmael what's the matter. He explains as quickly as he can in a half panic. She lets him know that She doesn't want him prying open one of her doors. She checks the compartment where she hid Queequeg's harpoon and realizes it's not there. She comes to the conclusion that he's killed himself, as this has happened before in her hotel. She grabs Ishmael's hand as he's yanking on the door. She tried a key, but it didn't work. Ishmael backs up to get a good running start and bolts for the door. He slams open, the knob slamming against the wall Queequeg sits there in the middle of the room, squatting like a catcher, cool and collected, with the small idle Yojo balanced on top of his head. Ishmael goes over to Queequeg and asks him what's the matter, but they couldn't drag a word out of him. Ishmael almost felt like pushing him over as it pained him to just look at him. The position he was in seemed intolerable, it was so unnatural. He'd been sitting upright like that for over ten hours, with no regular meals. Ish asks Miss Hussey if she'd leave them be, as he appears to be alive, at least. Ishmael closes the door and tries to give Q a chair to sit in. But no matter what Ishmael does, Q wouldn't move an inch, even look at him, or notice his presence in the slightest way. So Ishmael begins to wonder if this could be part of his Ramadan. He had heard once that they fast in this crouching position on native islands. It must be so. Part of his creed. Well, let him rest then. He should get up eventually. It can't last forever, thank God. And his Ramadan only comes once a year. Ishmael decides to go down for supper. He listens to some newly landed sailors tell some stories and hangs about till nearly midnight. He heads up to bed, figuring Q must be done by now. He had to be. But no. There he sat, squatting, in the middle of the old room. He tells Queequeg to get up, to have some dinner, or else he'll starve, but he won't reply. Ishmael decides there's no helping it, so he gets ready for bed. But before he turns out the light, he covers Queequeg with a heavy, bearskin jacket. He lay there in the dark, with Queequeg a couple feet away from him, squatting in the cold. Ishmael just couldn't bring himself to fall asleep with him suffering beside him in that way. Eventually though, Ishmael drifts off. He wakes up early the next morning and immediately peers over to the spot where Queequeg was squatting. Sure enough, there he is, still in the same position, unfazed. But as the first sign of sunlight shone through the window, he rose with creaking joints, limped over to Ishmael until their faces were near and told him his Ramadan was over. Ishmael feels a bit odd. He's mentioned before that he has no problem with religion, so long as that person doesn't hurt another person for not believing the same thing. But he also states that when a man's religion is sure to torment him and become extreme and has effects on others, he feels it's time to have a talk with that person about it. And so he spoke with Queequeg and tried to explain his feelings. He tells Q to get into bed and listen to him. Ishmael goes on a long lecture for Q, telling him all about his understandings of religion. He told him all he knows of early religion and modern ones, all about different Lents and Ramadans, how they were nonsense, and that doing these things to yourself is bad for your health, useless for the soul, against the obvious laws of hygiene and common sense. He also let him know that he felt Queequeg was an extremely sensible man, especially for someone of his upbringing and background. And it pained him as his friend, to see him do something so foolish. I try to imagine Queequeg's feelings in this instance, or facial expressions during this conversation. What he takes to heart and what he understands. If he knows how he's pained Ishmael, or if he even cares. Is Ishmael wrong for feeling this way and trying to talk sense into him? In Queequeg's mind, what he's doing is the most sensible of all things. Well, he then tried to make some arguments of common sense, telling him that fasting makes the body cave in, and therefore your mind will cave in eventually as well. And all thoughts born of a fasting must be only half-starved. He then asked Queequeg if he's ever had trouble with heartburn. He said no. Only once, after on his homeland, they had a vicious battle with over 200 of the enemies dead by noon. They feasted on all their bodies. Ishmael shuddered at the thought. He knew exactly what Q was talking about. He's heard stories of a sailor who once visited that very island. He told Ishmael it was custom for the tribes to barbecue the remains of their enemies and feast upon them. Well, after all of this, it didn't seem Ishmael had made much of an impression on Q. He seemed to be dull of hearing when it came to the subject, and on top of that, he most likely didn't understand the majority of what Ishmael was even talking about, and Queequeg no doubt believed that... He knew a good deal more about true religion than Ishmael did. He looked back at Ishmael with a sort of compassion and concern, as if he thought it was a great pity that such a sensible young man is so hopelessly lost to the pagan gods he worshipped. They both rose and dressed, had a hearty breakfast of chowders. Afterwards, they took their bags and left the tripods, picking their teeth with fish bones. This ends the chapter, the Ramadan. Religion has always been a uniting and dividing concept. We can see how both Ishmael and Queequeg feel bad for one another. It's an odd thing. They both almost pity the other, although they are both content in their own beliefs. Ishmael is pained by Queequeg's practices, and likewise, Queequeg feels Ishmael hasn't reached true enlightenment. This is something we all experience every day in our lives. We believe what we believe in It's so easy to undervalue another person's beliefs It could do us some good To do as Ishmael did And listen to someone else's beliefs Or join them in their practice Attend their church See what you learn Chapter 18 His Mark Queequeg It's about time we got him signed on to the Pequot Him and Ishmael are off Bags slung over their shoulders, walking down the wharf towards the ship. Peleg calls over them from his teepee, saying he hadn't suspected Ishmael's friend to be a cannibal, and that he didn't let cannibals aboard the craft unless they had papers, proving they had been converted to Christianity. Peleg and Bilde, referring to Queequeg as son of darkness, claim he needs to be converted before let aboard. They ask Queequeg if he's a member of any church. Ishmael answers for him, and a stunt of extreme wording tells him that Queequeg is a member of the first congregation of the whole worshiping world, that he's human, at least. Well, that's good enough for Peleg. He appreciates the way Ishmael put it, lets them both on board. Queequeg jumps on board, wordlessly, getting his bearings quickly, Bildad and Peleg want to know if Craig has any prior experience. Well, Craig walks up to the bow of the boat and points out a drop of tar on the ocean, comparing it to the eye of a whale, and he slings his harpoon, clear across the boat and over their heads, hits a drop of tar like a bullseye. He calmly pulls in the line to the harpoon, saying, if that were the eye of a whale, well, it'd be dead now. Dad and Peleg are so impressed that they scramble for the papers and offer him the 90th lay, a great share. Ishmael was very happy to hear this for his friend, and him and Queequeg are now officially enrolled among the same ship's company. Chapter 18. His Mark. They ask Queequeg to sign his name on the contract, but they recognize that he's not literate, and so they ask if he'll be leaving his mark to which Q agrees. He takes up the pen and draws down a tribal T symbol, exactly like the ones that were tattooed all over his body and face. Bildad pulls out some papers with small verses on them and gives him a cue, tries to beseech him of his past religion, all to Queequeg's obliviousness. Leg cuts it short, though, saying, a harpooner ought to have a bit of roughness in him. It's not good for a man on the front line of battle to think too much about life and death. It takes the spirit out of him. This upsets Bildad a little bit who believes you can never be too close to God. He makes an argument here, aimed at Peleg, and referring to a dangerous voyage they'd both experienced aboard the Pequod in the past. He says this, they've both seen dangerous times aboard that ship. They both know well what it is to fear death. He's referring to a terrible typhoon they weathered off the coast of Japan. With the Pequod's three masts all came down in a wreck and they almost met their fate. Bealdad presses into Leg, asking him, didn't you think about life and death then? When it was staring you right in the face? But Leg says, no, there was no time to think about death then. All he could think of was how to save everyone on board, how to rig up some quick masts, how to get to the nearest port. People's minds and bodies work differently under pressure. Beeldad argued no more, but buttoned up his coat and walked up to the deck. Quietly went about his duties, mending sails, picking up pieces of twine, and just cleaning up in general. This leads Queequeg and Ishmael to take their leave for the Pequod for the day. And my favorite chapter in the first quarter of the novel starts here. It's one I've been talking about since episode one. It's called The Prophet and will connect to everything we've spoken of so far, from Father Maple's predictions and allusions to the typology and biblical names and references found in the prior chapters. It all comes together here and opens up our mystery with a brilliant, foreshadowing event. This chapter is called, again, The Prophet. Ishmael and Queequeg are walking away from the water, each lost in their own private thoughts. When a voice from beside them asks, Oi,
1: shipmates, have you shipped in that ship?
0: A man in rags points at the Pequod, his face full of torment and hardships of homelessness, with blemishes covering his face, patches in his pants and a black handkerchief round his neck. He asks again if that's the ship they will indeed be shipping out on. Ishmael takes a better look at the man. The man was repeatedly pointing at the vessel in an outlandish way. Anything down on that
1: contract about your soul? You haven't gotten a soul. Well, I know many chaps who haven't got one. A soul can be, a uh, Sort of a fifth wheel to a wagon. Wouldn't you agree with me?
0: What are you jabbering about, shipmate? Ishmael begins to sense this man's senility. The man continues on. Well, he's
1: got enough. Mind you. To make up for all deficiencies of that sort in other chaps.
0: The man seemed to sound nervous when he was speaking of the Pequod and its captains. Ishmael calls for Queequeg.
1: Queequeg, let's go. This fellow has broken loose from somewhere. He's talking about something and somebody we don't know. Ye said true. Ye haven't seen Old Thunder. Captain Ahab. Have you? What? The captain of our ship, the Peacord? No, we haven't. They say he's sick. But we'll be better before long. Better before long? Ah, ah, ah. Uh, 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 Look ye, when Captain Ahab is all right, then this left arm of mine will be all right, not before. What do you know about him? What did they tell you of him? They didn't tell me anything. Only, he's a great whale hunter and a good captain to his crew. Well, that much is true. But you must jump when he gives an order. Step and growl, growl and go. That's the word with Captain Ahead. But you've heard nothing about that thing that happened to him off of Cape Corn
0: when he lay like dead for three days and nights. Nothing about that deadly scrimmage with the Spaniard in front of the altar. Heard anything about that, eh? And nothing about him losing his leg last
1: voyage, according to the prophecy. Well, who knows it? Not all of Nantucket, I guess. But no matter what you have heard tell of his leg, and how he lost it, I... Ye have heard of it, I dare say. That everyone knows. I mean, they know he's only got one leg. And that a whale took the other off. My friend, what all this gibberish of yours is about, I don't know,
0: and I don't much care. For it seems to me, you must be a little damaged in the head. But if you are speaking of Captain Ahab, of that ship there, the Pequot, then let me tell you that I know all about the loss of his leg.
1: All about it, eh? Yes, sir, sure you do all
0: of it I'm pretty sure This odd homeless man points at the Pequot again Arm stretched straight out stood there for a moment as if in some sort of troubled daydream Then jumped a bit and turned to them again
1: You've shipped have ye? Names down on the papers Well, what's signed is signed, and what's to be will be. And then again, perhaps it won't be after all. Anyhow, it's all fixed and arranged already, and some sailors or other must go with him, I suppose. As well as any other men. God pity him. Morning to
0: you shipmates. Morning. Bless ye. I'm sorry I stopped ye. We know Ishmael is a tame man, but he gets just a little upset here. Look here, friend. If you have anything important to tell us, out with it. But if you are only trying to bamboozle us, you are mistaken in your game. That's all I have to say.
1: And it's said well. I like to hear a chap talk up that way. You're just a man for Ahab, the likes of you.
0: Ah, my dear fellow. You can't fool us that way. You can't fool us. It is the easiest thing in the world for a man to pretend he holds a great secret.
1: Good morning to you shipmates. You have a good day.
0: Oh, good day indeed. Come along, quick. quick. Let's leave this crazy man. But stop. Tell me your name, will you? The man turns to them one last time and spits out the name. Elijah. The hairs on the back of Ishmael's neck stand up and a chill slithers down his spine. Elijah, he thinks to himself. He's having a moment of connection and realization. I'll explain it in just a moment. They head back to the inn one last time. Ishmael peers over his shoulder and sees Elijah following them. Or at least, he thought he did. All night, Ishmael is full of deep, dark feeling. Premonitions of what's to come. Now let's dive into what just happened. This man, Elijah, knows Captain Ahab and has sailed with him at some point in his lifetime. We know some prior events. He's wondering if Ishmael has any idea of Captain Ahab's wickedness. He alludes to an event in which apparently... Captain Ahab, in cold blood, murdered a foreign man in a foreign land, in front of that land's religious altar, and in disrespect, spit into the small silver container on the altar. Murder and trespassing. This man Elijah is saying that what happened to Ahab is a result of his terrible wrongdoings. His messages and words are very cryptic and telling. Ishmael takes him for crazy at first even until the end of this odd conversation, all up until he learns the man's name, Elijah. He gets the feeling that maybe there is some legitimacy to this prophecy he's been hearing about. This man's language, the way he talks, it seems like he knows something that Ishmael doesn't. You'll remember Captain Peleg drawing parallels to the Bible, calling Ahab a crowned king. You may or may not have followed that episode, but I recommend you do for a better background. We know that in the Bible, Ahab was a king in Israel, a terrible one that went against the word of God and his people and didn't listen to the warnings from a prophet named Elijah. You can see the parallels coming together. Elijah warned Ahab, Ahab did not listen and ultimately what Elijah predicted came true and Ahab died a terrible death and led those around him to death as well. Well, this man's cryptic tellings are all just hearsay to Ishmael, up until he learns the man's name. Ish knows the Bible, he knows the story, and this is all just a bit too much of a coincidence. This man clearly knows something. Could he be crazy? Or is he really telling us the disastrous fate of the Pequod? and all of its inhabitants. We will find out at some point in this wonderful novel. But for now, just soak in this wonderful work of reference and literary skills. The whole beginning of the novel wraps together terrifically here. We've got our good guys, our two friends and starting main characters. We have an antagonist who's not really a bad guy yet. Or if he is, we haven't seen him show it to us we have a journey laid out before us with some warnings. We will soon learn Captain Ahab's purpose and drive and what he really is about in the coming chapters and episodes. This connection is magical. It's that missing link we needed to invite us further into the story. It's a playful and specific way of writing Melville uses here. It's such a great way to get the point across. There are many ways this could have been depicted. The lighthearted tones of the beginning of the book matched with the melancholy outlooks of our main character and the serious and foreboding connections we've experienced so far make this a neat slice of literature to ingest. And slowly is the best way. Father Mapple at the Whaleman's Chapel, who we met in episode three, drew parallels to another story from the Bible, Jonah and the Whale. A story most people are at least somewhat familiar with. Another story of a pained man leading those around him to death for a bad reason. This is the author's way of showing us possible outcomes to the story and gives it drive and direction. Captain Peleg aboard the Pequod argued whether or not Ahab's name would prove prophetic or telling. On one hand, it was looking too coincidental. On the other, it was just a foolish whim of his widowed Quaker mother who gave him the biblical name. So it's definitely a play on the idea of typology and whether or not you want to look at the book in that way or not. It gives us so much more context and backdrops and parallels to draw from, which in turn gives us deeper story with more meaning and more to think about. And experiencing this along with Herman Melville's masterful, poetic writing, is a read that everyone should have the chance to enjoy at some point in their lives. I hope that you will, and if you won't or can't, I really hope that you'll join me in my telling of it. So we've reached an amazing point in our story. Ishmael and Kwee are about to begin their journey, along with a lot of other sailors beside them and Captain Ahab leading them. They have just a couple more days on land on the island of Nantucket before they set off. And, uh, all the crews are loading up all the chests and all the food they'll need for the long voyage. So that's going to conclude the episode for today. That was just an incredible area of the book that I really, really enjoy. Um, it adds a lot to the mystery and it's great foreshadowing. I don't know how many of y'all are going to hear this part of my show since it's the end of the fifth episode. Uh, I don't know if y'all listen to the end or not, but if you are listening, um... I just wanted to say a couple of things about what I'm going to be doing in the future. This is my fifth episode. Um, I'm going to continue doing the entire book and then moving on to another book, but I wanted to do a couple of other projects with the night reader podcast that I have. I, uh, am going to do a sixth episode involving other readers. Um, it could be anybody from any part of the world, any age or any background, just, uh, Anybody who enjoys reading or has a story to tell about a book or, um, you know, how a book changed their lives or impact them in a big way um, or how reading has changed your life or how it uh, affects you in your day-to-day life. Or if you just like to talk about your favorite book with me, that would be awesome. I'd love to have you on the show, um, you know, a couple minutes of your time. You could even be anonymous if you wanted, but I'm going to be reaching out to all of you that currently listen to me as well as other people and I'd like to have a great episode um, just about that, you know, about how great reading is. and I'd like to have a great episode about that um, with some of you on there with me talking about your favorite books and, um, like I said, how they impacted you as a child or as a young reader. Um, I know I've had some books in my life that changed my life and changed my outlook on the world and people and myself even. So if you've ever had something like that, Uh, And you're hearing this right now. Go ahead and send me a message on Facebook or on Instagram. And just tell me the name of your favorite book. Um, Even that would be enough. Uh, I'll message you back. And if you want to talk more about it, we could definitely do that. I could bring you on my show. Um, Or you could just leave it at that and I could name you and name your favorite book. And I'll uh, mention you on my show on episode six. Um, So that will be one break episode. And on episode seven, we'll be right back into Moby Dick. Um, and I don't know how much more I'll do of that depending on how successful it is. And if you guys like it, um, I'll definitely do more of that and other ideas I have such as that one, but for sure, I'm going to be doing that. So like I said, if you do hear this, please send me a message or just comment on my page, whatever you can do. Um, i I'm, I'm always going to be able to reply instantly to you. And I'd love to talk with you guys about your favorite books. This episode was recorded and produced by Dylan C., Thank y'all for listening, and I will return next week, so go on, flip your pages, drop your swords, pick up your pens and reading spectacles, let us read on.